Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. The Sermon on the Mount is this amazing piece of scripture where Jesus invites us into a magical new world. Think of the Sermon on the Mount like a, uh, a cracking of the door. It's a pulling back of the curtain, a tug into an enchanted wardrobe that's opening us to a, to a new realm, a magical place that maybe we've never seen before. And Jesus calls that place the kingdom of heaven. And we're exploring this sermon that Jesus gave us to better understand this new reality that Jesus is inviting us into. The kingdom of heaven isn't really a place as much as it's a vision of a new way of living life. A life that is rooted in a vision of a world that is God-saturated, love-filled, and spirit-rich. And so as we dig into this amazing teaching from Jesus, um, I want to encourage you to just open your perspective to new ways of seeing the world, new ways of seeing yourself in new ways and fresh ways of participating with what God is doing in your life. Listen to this. The Bible radicalizes us and our vision of life with these amazing statements. And I want to read this one to you right now. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is a reality in which we are being transformed into someone. We wouldn't even have the guts or the, the audacity to imagine becoming. And that's what Jesus wants to do with us. Put simply, choosing to follow Jesus launches us into a lifelong process of being transformed. And that gets us to the focus of the message today. Um, Today's passage that we're looking at in Matthew chapter 6 is where Jesus teaches us how to practice spiritual disciplines so that we are transformed. As we see with the Pharisees or the hypocrites, we're not deformed. Again, he wants to teach us how to use spiritual disciplines so that we're transformed, not deformed. But before we get into how we use spiritual disciplines, I want to just pause and just look afresh at what spiritual disciplines actually are. All right, so I want to throw you out, uh, throw out my own personal definition of a spiritual discipline. I define it this way. Spiritual disciplines are practices of mind and body that help us to cooperate with God's love so that we become more and more like Jesus. I'll just read that one more time. Spiritual disciplines are practices of mind and a body that help us to cooperate with God's love so that we become more and more like Jesus. Now, some of these practices are done with others in community, and some of them are best practiced alone and in private. Now, there's two major camps of spiritual disciplines. There are the ones that are abstinence-based, in which we're pulling back from some aspect of the world, and there are other spiritual disciplines that are more about engaging. Now, I want to focus on the abstinence ones first. This includes fasting, solitude, silence, frugality, secrecy, and sacrifice. Now, on the engagement side, we have study, prayer, worship, fellowship, and confession. Now, I'm just covering the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of other kinds of spiritual disciplines that we could talk about. Now, the value of these practices is that they engage our will and make us active participants in the process of God's transforming work in our life. 
They engage us at our will. And that's so important because it's at that fundamental level of who we are that God wants to open us up to his love and his transforming work. And that's where we need to be changed at the very core of ourself. They also open up the whole range of our life to God's influence and power. So these spiritual disciplines engage, help us engage uh, every part of our life into God's influence. So for example, um, Jesus addresses three specific spiritual practices. He talks about giving, prayer, and fasting. Giving helps us open up the way we use our finances to God's influence. Prayer helps us open up our attention and our time to God's presence. And fasting helps us open up our dependency on food to God's influence. Now, you can go through all the spiritual disciplines and see all the different ways that they help us open up every nook and cranny of our life to God's interaction and power. Richard Foster has this really great way of talking about spiritual disciplines. Uh, He says, disciplines are not the answer. They only lead us to the answer. We must clearly understand this limitation of the disciplines if we're to avoid bondage. Now, right there, that leads us to the next point because Jesus has has a, a caution for us. He wants to warn us against the ways that using spiritual disciplines can actually deform our life. And so he wants to talk for a moment to us about how not to use spiritual disciplines. And he uses the Pharisees as an example of what not to do. All right, so look at these scriptures. In verse two, Jesus says this. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do to be honored by others. And when you pray, in verse five, he says, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray to be seen by others. And then he goes on, and in verse 16, he says, and when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Now, the Pharisees, or as Jesus affectionately likes to call them, the hypocrites, use spiritual practices as ways to earn public recognition and approval. Then in verse 7, Jesus talks about pagans. Now, these are just non-Jews. Anybody who um, practiced a religion that was not oriented around the worship of Yahweh, right? And they use spiritual disciplines too, because the truth is the people of God are not the only ones that use spiritual disciplines. Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, even atheists, and heck, even the hardline capitalists on Wall Street, really every human being in one form, shape, or another uses spiritual disciplines, activities that shape our mind and our body to reorient and influence our inner life. Now, what Jesus says about pagans is this. He says that they use spiritual disciplines to earn God's approval. Listen to this, verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying that using spiritual disciplines to earn human approval or even God's approval um, deforms us. Using spiritual disciplines to earn approval from people and even God deforms and hurts our soul. I want to give you an example um, from my life. Practically, I, I love running. And recently I was on a run and I'm recovering from sort of an Achilles 
tendon injury and a tendonitis in my left Achilles tendon. And I have to kind of keep it chill when I run. If I run too fast, I could strain it. But I'm running, and as I'm running, I see this other person across the street on the streets of La Costa booking it, and I want to be like that person. I see them, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to run like that person. And I also start paying attention to the fact that people are passing me, and they can see me, and I want to impress them. And I start thinking about what the people in the cars next to me on on the road are thinking about me, and it makes me want to run faster. Do you know what I mean? You ever had that moment where you start becoming aware of other people seeing you and it changes the way you engage with what you're doing? It makes you want to run harder, try harder, stay up later, go faster, work harder. Well, that's what was happening to me in running and I'm totally embarrassed to admit it. The problem is as I was running harder, it started creating pain in my tendon because my desire to get approval and recognition from these people, I I don't even know. And they're probably not even noticing me, but because I'm trying to get that approval, that imaginary praise, I'm pushing my body past what it should do. And it began to create that recurring pain in my tendon. And I literally had to force myself to just slow down and walk. That is how our, our life focused on what people think of us can push us and pressure us to act and live in a way that deforms our soul and our lives and even our body. Now, what is wrong with living trying to earn people's approval and God's approval? Well, the problem is you cannot earn the very thing that will actually transform us because people's approval, trying to earn people's approval isn't going to change us. Um, love is really the only thing that can change us. And you can't, you can't earn love. Yeah, you can earn po- popularity. You can earn fame. You can earn a lot of the achievements that are in our life. But you can't earn love. And most importantly, you can't earn God's love. A life lived trying to earn love through these pathways deforms our soul and our whole life. A life lived in surrender to to your heavenly Father's love, now that transforms us. Now what you can see here is that Jesus is trying, by looking at the Pharisees, he's trying to get us to ask the question, why do we do what we do? Why do we pray? What's behind that? Why do we go to church? Why are we reading the Bible? What is motivating us? And that is so important that we allow Jesus to press us to look into our soul and beneath the hood of what motivates our life. Because what motivates us has profound influence on how we are shaped and who we become. And that's why spiritual disciplines are so important. And that leads us to what Jesus had to say about the way we should practice spiritual disciplines and the way that they can positively transform us for good. Jesus actually teaches that spiritual disciplines can transform us when we see them as ways to surrender ourselves to the Father's love. Jesus makes it really clear that there's a real reward for those who commit themselves to spiritual practices. Because maybe at this point you're tempted to think, well, man, if spiritual disciplines can deform me, make me into a prideful hypocrite like the Pharisees, I'll just throw them away altogether and just go with the flow. And Jesus is actually trying to guard us from that pathway, from throwing it all you know, away altogether as well. And so listen to what he says, that there's real benefits that, can, that we can only experience by committing ourselves to intentional, disciplined actions in our life that direct our attention and our life towards God. 
In this little section of 18 verses, chapter 6, 1 through 18, this little section, Jesus makes 10 references to the Father. Now, this gets us to how we're actually transformed through spiritual disciplines. Jesus paints a picture of your Father as someone who is unseen, someone who sees you, in particular, in the secret place. Over and over, Jesus is talking about how the Father sees what we do in secret. I love this statement because it reminds me of Psalm 139, verse 15, where it says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. It takes us back to this idea that our Father in heaven sees us at the very core of who we are. And it shows us the intimate knowledge that God has about our life. And that takes us to the next thing Jesus says about God as a father, that as a father, he knows your needs before you even ask him. And then finally, our father is someone who rewards every act of faith and surrender. Now that is an amazing picture of who God is as a father. He sees you, he knows your needs, and he rewards you. It describes the way in which our father loves us. Spiritual practices help us to be with the Father, to become like the Father, and to do what the Father does. And that, in essence, was the way that Jesus lived. Because Jesus himself said, I only do what I see the Father doing. But you might be asking, how did he know what the Father was doing? And he says, because the Father and I are one. There was this oneness. He'd become like the Father. He was one with the Father. And how did that happen for him? You might be thinking, well, he was the son of God, and then he could just do that automatically. And that's not necessarily true. When we look closely at Jesus' life, we see him practicing spiritual disciplines. We see him early in the morning getting alone and away from the crowd and praying. We see him in the early hours of the morning praying, and we see him in his hardest moments, in his most desperate moments, in prayer, crying out to his father. We see Jesus fasting before he even starts his public ministry. We see Jesus using the discipline of Sabbath-keeping to train himself in depending and resting in his Father's provision and not in his own ability to take care of himself. All throughout Jesus' life, we see Jesus practicing spiritual disciplines. And through those practices, he trained his life to be one with the Father's life. And that changed him. That formed him. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but we might say it transformed him. Not because he had sin, but because as a human, he was born into a world that was separated from God. And his capacity to see and be and do what his father was doing was shaped and empowered through his spiritual practices. Now, spiritual disciplines are Jesus' gift to you and to me on our journey of being transformed. And as we read earlier at the beginning of the message from 1 Corinthians, to be made into the image of God. Spiritual disciplines are a gift that give us a life, that train us into a life that overflows from the awareness of a loving Father who sees you, who knows you, and who rewards you. Because that is what's going to transform you. Now, before we wrap up, I want to just ask you just to reflect for a moment. What are your spiritual practices that you go to that help connect you to the Father's love, that help you cooperate with 
the, the movements of his grace in your life that help you tune into God's nearness to you, to recognize his voice? What are the things that you've been doing that have been life-giving? And maybe there's spiritual practices that God wants to add to your life. Maybe there's some new ones that God wants to open you up to. And if you want to explore that, I want to encourage you to read Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline. Because for some of us, we practice spiritual disciplines, but we've been doing maybe the same two or three our whole life and have never allowed ourselves to open up to new practices. Okay, Maybe there are others of us that have stayed away from spiritual practices because we were afraid that in doing them, we would be trying to earn something from God. One of my favorite authors, Dallas Willard, says that grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. And there's a fundamental difference between effort and earning. Do you understand the difference between effort and earning in your relationship with Jesus? Maybe that's something that you might talk about with your family and your friends after the service. There are others of us that have maybe seen spiritual disciplines used in a way that was legalistic, controlling, and because of that experience, you shied away from it. And I want to encourage you to take a lesson from Jesus. Jesus is saying, yeah, there's a way to not do it, but Jesus is not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. He's saying, don't throw it out because there is a reward and a benefit for our life that we can't have access to unless we allow spiritual practices to have an essential and integral role in our life. In this time where we're shut in, this is a perfect time for us to be exploring new practices that God might want to give us to deepen our intimate connection with him. So with that being said, I want to just hit the pause and we're going to turn. I want to invite my friend Roy, who's going to help us just dig a little deeper into what it looks like to use spiritual practices in our life to shape us and what it looks like practically to integrate these and the impact that they can have on our lives spiritually. Okay, so Roy has his certificate in spiritual direction from USD, and he's a doctor of ministry candidate at Fuller, and he's a professional chaplain for over 14 years. Basically, he he should have written the sermon, and he's got so much experience and insight into our topic today, and I'm really excited, Roy, to have you help us dig deeper into Matthew 6 and into this topic of spiritual disciplines. And, you know, based on your training, I thought it'd be cool to open up and just give you a chance to tell us how would you explain the significance and the role of spiritual disciplines in our life to, tr- to shape us and transform us? Yeah, I, I think this is, uh, um, this is one of those light subjects, right? <laughs> uh, no, this is a very uh, big, wide subject that, um, that's really close to my heart. What came to mind for me, Ryan, as you were talking, was the sense that the spiritual disciplines help um, almost like un- unearth uh, um, they help me discover these deeper longings that are in my heart that, mm. that as Jesus is doing this transformative work in my life, uh, the disciplines, whether they be silence and solitude or prayer or almsgiving or whatever that might be, yeah. there's something that's opening up inside of me, something of the work of grace that's inside of me that's saying, I, I long for this. Yeah. I-, I feel more alive. I-, I-, I feel a sense of joy. I feel a sense of of wholeness um, as I engage with Jesus through these disciplines that in some ways they, they keep me honest. Yeah. You know, they, 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 yeah. So spiritual disciplines help us to be honest, you're saying, and they, 
And that helps us then get to a place where we're actually getting in touch with our deeper longings. And that's a really fascinating idea that God would want to help us get in touch with our deeper longings. I think the idea is we typically feel is that a discipline is a way of quenching desire, that spiritual disciplines are going to suffocate and are meant to choke out bad desires, right? We don't think of spiritual disciplines as something to help us actually proactively amplify or cultivate deeper longings in our life. Yeah, I mean, there are things that I long for that, honestly, they could be superficial in some ways, Ryan. Um, they, they seem flimsy. They seem thin. Um, uh, and yet, like, even if I take those to God, uh, I've had moments where I feel like God is asking me, well, Roy, what, what's underneath that? Yeah. What's the more? Yeah. You know, it's, it's like the God of curiosity in these disciplines is opening up space to say, Roy, what's, what's more? There's more in you. And I actually end up feeling more alive and more myself. So this is the honesty you're talking about. Yeah. That to help us get honest and get past the superficial desires of our life to the deeper longings. Now, I didn't even touch on this in my message, so I just love that we're going there. (laughs) How do spiritual disciplines help us to be honest with ourselves? Because see, the Pharisees we saw are using it for the opposite reason. They're using spiritual practices to actually cover up their, mm, their sort of corrupted, so prideful, greedy, selfish lives, right? Which is what we do, right? I mean, from, from the beginning, Adam and Eve are covering themselves. Yeah. Here the Pharisees are covering themselves. I love how in, in the, first chap, uh, the first verse of chapter 6, you're talking about how the Pharisees are doing these things out of righteousness, right? To be seen, to be recognized, Mm -hmm. right? For their names to be hallowed. Yeah. And then if we keep going down in the text, we get to the most famous prayer. And the first few lines are, hallowed be your name. Yeah, it's good. You know, so you have this sense where we long to be hallowed. We long to be adored. We long to be recognized. And yet if we go about it in ways we can go about it in ways that actually makes us less of who we are, makes us more anxious, makes us yeah. more greedy sometimes. And yet the disciplines are, are, are means for Jesus to say, I want to liberate you. I'm breaking into your life. And the disciplines are helping me to be awakened and be, self, and be aware of that. And yeah. that's what keeps me honest. Well, that's, yeah. So spiritual disciplines, you're saying, help us by liberating us. And I yeah. think... That's probably not what we think of when we think of spiritual discipline. Not when we think of the word discipline. They yeah. constrain us. They put limits on us, right? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm going to fast. I'm, I'm not going to eat. Yeah. It puts a limit on our ability to eat something. Or I'm going to be silent. Or I'm going to be in solitude. It's limiting or restricting our words or our interaction with people. Mm-hmm. And that, So what you're saying is that these forms of restriction are actually ways of liberating us and freeing us. And we're going to... I can't wait to get to that because... I think when we talk about the way spiritual disciplines have worked in your life personally, I think we'll get there. Yeah. But what I, I love your reference to the, to the Lord's Prayer and that whole, the way it starts, how would be your name? Because by literally praying that our Father on a daily basis, you're being reminded that, that our life is not fulfilled in trying to live for our own glory, but in the glory of God's name. Come on. And it, it, would, it reminds you. And that's the very issue that we see going on with the Pharisees, right? That they're, that somewhere they've lost touch with their, their, their createdness to bring glory to God's name. And spiritual disciplines got used to glorify themselves rather than to help them get honest with the ways that they're 
longing for things superficially yeah. that are contrary to bringing glory to God. Yeah. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty radical. I love that idea. So again, spiritual disciplines place restrictions on our life to actually uh, set us free. That's crazy. So let's go to how the, what that looks like in our life personally. So mm-hmm. talk to us, Roy, about the way that you view spiritual disciplines in your life in a personal way. I think you were talking about silence and solitude earlier with me. Yeah, so to go along with like this sense of, uh, of discipline or restrictiveness and liberation, I mean, you and I were, were total introverts. I mean, <laughs> <Shut up>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're extroverts. Uh, he, that's obviously, he's being facetious, you know. <laughs> Ryan and I could, could talk to everybody in a room, right? Yeah, we, you're, we, that's right. We love, we get energy out of connecting with people. And I noticed that earlier on in ministry, I was getting home and I was fatigued. I was, I mean, it's already tough to do this work, but I noticed that I was even more tired and more fatigued, more anxious. Yeah. And so as I started to undergo uh, spiritual direction and started learning more about the disciplines, so one, of, one of my directors said, Roy, why don't you try uh, silence and solitude? Wow. And, and I thought, gosh, I mean, you want me to be quiet? Yeah, that's, that's like uh, the wood stake through the heart of a vampire or a garlic to a vampire. Yeah, so it's it's like, like, no, for an extrovert to be silent and to uh, go into solitude is a real challenge. But it was great because this director was helping me to get in touch with what was happening in my own you know, in my own, underneath my own hood, so to speak. Yeah. And they were encouraging me to say, Roy, you long to listen. Well, that means you need to practice more silence. Yeah. And so what, I, what I've done, Ryan, is that uh, I intend to every morning. Uh, I, I, I'm saying prayers. I have written prayers that I follow. I read some of the Psalms. I have uh, uh, creative prayers or, or just, you know, off-the-cuff prayers but in some ways, it always ends with 10 to 20 minutes of what we call centering prayer, okay. where I am silent and still. It's, it's, it's the psalmist saying, be still. And know that I am God. Yeah. Okay, so, let me, okay, so that's a great point. Yeah. In being still and being silent and being, being alone, yeah. we come to know God yeah. in a way that we can't get to know God constantly in, it, rushing around, interacting. Yeah, with, with all people. the voices either yeah. chattering around us or, or within us. Now, let me interrupt just for a second. I, I want to ask you a quick question. Um, how often do you use silence or solitude in your life? Is it something you do once a month, once a year? Man, Ryan, like, I mean, my, the best intentions that I have are to try to do it daily. Daily? Yeah. So give me a specific. Like, yeah. I, I mean, know you're not trying to brag, but we're, you're allowing us to learn from your own Example. So thanks for being vulnerable about your yeah. spiritual practice. Yeah. So, so how do you when, often do, you, how long do, would you spend in silence? Yeah. When I'm in my best form and best shape, uh, I'm, I'm getting up early in the morning and I'm probably doing this for t- 10 to 20 minutes. Okay. 10 to 20 time. minutes. I think it's yeah. helpful to hear because people might exaggerate it and think, oh my gosh, wait, you think in an hour or two hours of silence, no. but yeah, even just 10, 20 minutes. Yeah. And, he, and here's the grace uh, and, and you know, you and I have both read Ruth Haley Barton. I think you've even, I think you know her. Yeah. So um, she would say, like, if you can't do 20 minutes, do, start with one minute. Yeah. And then build two minutes, five minutes. Now, Ruth Haley Barton, if you guys don't know Ruth Haley Barton, she wrote a really great book, a win, I think Christianity Today winner, book award yeah. winner, called Silence and Solitude. 
And it's a great book if you want to learn about Silence and Solitude. It's really thin, very well written. You'll love it. Ruth Haley Barton. But thanks for that reference. Yeah. Now, so what you're, let me just recap what I hear you saying, that Silence and Solitude is a way of putting a, almost like, a, like a, it's disciplining and almost putting a restriction on your extroverted personality. At this point in my life, Ryan, I don't even see it as a restriction as much as I see it as an, an allowance to be more of myself for wow. the rest of the day. I, no, I think that's really fascinating because it's the idea that here's an, a, a natural part of your personality. Being extroverted is a natural part of you. It's not a bad thing. It's actually, it's a really good thing about who you are. Yeah. And yet that natural good part of you without discipline isn't able to, it doesn't necessarily form us. It can actually deform us. That's a really crazy thought. Yeah. That a part of our life that is actually good and strong are areas of gifting that are not disciplined and don't, aren't submitted to God through spiritual practices can actually begin to deform us. I was thinking about this quote, I don't know if you can relate to it, that goes, an unguarded strength can become your double weakness. Yeah. It's kind of that idea. Yeah. I, I think um, it, it makes me think, Ryan, that um, you know, this Sermon on the Mount passage is about Jesus making this massive announcement and proclamation of the kingdom of God breaking into the now, right? And so he's painting a picture of what it looks like when we are yoked to him and when we're following him. And so as we're following Jesus and we're submitting to him, we're actually submitting to his lordship, which means that all of us, everything in our lives gets submitted to him. My words, my deeds, my actions, my motives— You were talking in your sermon about motives. Motives is the great question of why. Why am I doing this? Why do I do this? What's my propensity to do this? Even if it's a good thing. So we're offering, the disciplines are saying, be honest about all of it. Mm. Be honest about the pride, the ego, uh, the, the recognition that you want from specific people. You know, that's good. That's good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that right there, you've given us Roy a lot to chew on. I want to just wrap it up by saying this. Like a couple of things that Roy said that are so important for us. That spiritual practices are not ways to cover up our life and cover up the bad stuff in our life. Spiritual practices are actually a way of being, helping us be honest with those things. And it's not for the purpose of feeling condemned by God. Um, it's not, they're not things that we do to make ourselves feel like we're amazing Christians. Um, there are ways in which we open up the vulnerable Sometimes the painful places of our life, the unformed places of our life, for God to heal and mature and grow. And so I think that's a powerful insight. And I want to encourage you this week, what's a new spiritual practice that you could integrate into your life? Maybe it's Bible memorization. Maybe it's new forms of praying. Maybe it's buying Ruth's book, Ruth Haley Barton, Silence and Solitude, and learning to allow Jesus to have more and more access to every nook and cranny of your life. Now, with that said, I want to just transition to, for us and actually practice a spiritual discipline right now. And we're going to do communion. Communion is a way for us to, it, it, they're physical actions that we take with real physical things like bread, or in this case, a muffin, or you know, juice, to help put us in touch with a profound spiritual reality. And it's that spiritual reality that transforms us, the body and blood of Christ. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a piece of bread, very much not like this, and he broke it. And he said, hey, this right here represents my body broken for you. And the breaking of Jesus' body, he made a way for us 
to have reconciliation and restoration in relationship with God. I want to invite you right now, take a moment and just break a piece off and eat it and remember Jesus' body broken for you. Jesus took this glass, this cup full of wine, and he said, this wine right here is a symbol of the new covenant. It represents my blood shed for you. This would have been a radical thought for the Jew because for them, they would associate blood and forgiveness with animals, not with a person, and certainly not Jesus. But Jesus was saying, my blood was shed for you so that you could be cleansed and forgiven of all your sin." And so as we drink this together, we drink this in remembrance of Jesus' blood shed for us. Go ahead and drink and remember Jesus' death for you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you. There's nothing that we can do that in itself can save us, heal us, forgive us, transform us. It is all you. And you did it on the cross. And now you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have invited us to be a part of what you're doing in this amazing work of transformation in our life and in the world. Would you help us walk out spiritual practices in our life as a way of participating and cooperating with what you've done for us? In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for joining us today and staying with us all the way through. I really hope our conversation about spiritual disciplines was helpful for you and that maybe you're already walking away from this service with some ideas about some spiritual practices that you want to integrate into your life. And with that, I just want to pray a closing blessing on you. And as I've been doing, this blessing comes from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. May the peace of your loving Father be with you this week. May you sense his gracious hand on your life. See you next week. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.